It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. I'm today's host, Adam Adams. I'm here with Michael Blanc. How are you doing, Michael? Hey, Adam. Uh, glad to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on and tell us a little bit more about your background. Well, you know, I, I just, uh, I have a background like a lot of people, you know, I, I wasn't really surrounded by any kind of entrepreneurs. So I just kind of followed the, you know, the program, which was go to school, get good grades and get a good job. And that's what I did. And I didn't read Rich Dad Poor Dad until 2004. So I was like in my mid thirties at, at the time. I was like, oh my gosh, I thought I was pretty smart up until that then. And, and, you know, and it, it's just one of those, every time a, something like that, you know, shifts your life in, in a meaningful way, it's just amazing. And I just questioned a lot of things I had done up to that point. And one of the things I questioned was, well, <clears throat> getting a good job and with benefits. And, and I was like, man, you know, this doesn't appeal to me at all. Number one, obviously it wasn't as, as secure. Uh, and, and number two, I didn't really like the idea of working like I was. And I was working for a software startup, had a lot of fun for many years. And then we started getting bigger and bigger. And then it, it just was more like an office job. And it, I just didn't, it didn't appeal to me. So when I read that book, I was like, man, this is great. Permanent financial freedom. That's kind of what I what I want. And so I kind of set out on, on journey to find that. Yeah, that, that is a good book. And a lot of people bring that up. Uh, it, it, it changed my life as well. Uh, so how did, how did that exact, how did that bring you to where you are now today? You're doing apartment buildings. Yeah. How much time do you have Adam? No, <laughs> so, no back in the, back in the day. So in my software startup, here's what happened. I, I had, we did an IPO and I, I made a bunch of money on that, which was great. So I just followed Kiyosaki's advice and I wanted a cash flow business and real estate, but not necessarily in one. Mm -hmm. I was surrounded by people who were in the restaurant business, oddly enough, and, and in the franchise restaurant business. And they were like, yeah, we're going to hire a guy to run all these restaurants, cost this much to open. We're just going to sit back and count the passive income. I was like, sweet. That's what I want. <clears throat> right. So that was my big idea, Adam. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, real estate, even though I kind of did it on the side. So what I did is I quit my job. I figured I had enough money to live off of for, for a few years. Mm -hmm. And I kind of went full bore on learning how to be uh, financially free. So I, I took all kinds of classes. I signed up with a, with a house flipper. I signed up to learn stocks and options. I signed up for an apartment boot camp. And so I flipped a couple houses here and there, but really my focus was apartments. I figured apartments. It wasn't at the time. It was actually restaurants. So I sunk my net worth into these restaurants. And it went really well for about a period of five, six years. I was in a state of semi-retirement, got passive income, flipped a couple houses here and there, experimented, yeah. did a bunch of stuff, went to boot camps. It was pretty cool until it started, uh, I started making less and less money and it, and it went so quickly that I had to sell them at a massive loss. So long so story were, short. Why were, you making, why were you making less money? Well, the recession came okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and never really recovered from that. And then, as you know, the expenses kind of keep creeping, creeping up in our, and our sales never really went up. It kind of slowly went down by four or 5% every single year. So the concept kind of, kind of died a slow death and I just, I wasn't paying any attention to it. So all of a sudden we bounced this, some kind of check and I was like, wait, I was meeting with my guy once a week wow. to review the numbers and pat myself on the back and count my money. And I wasn't noticing that our margins were shrinking. And so all of a sudden I was like, holy cow, we have a real problem. I let the guy go. I was paying him $80,000 a year. Now I was running six restaurants at the time. Not really my idea of a passive income, right? So I was a major wake up call for me. And I went from being in a state of semi-retirement to basically having a high stress job all of a sudden. 
Um, and, I, and I was been doing stuff on the real estate side as I, as I was getting a little stable. I, we flipped, we started really flipping houses in 2009, got into apartment buildings and the real estate stuff was always pretty good, but it was a lot of work. The house flipping stuff, as you, as you know, uh, if you're not buying, fixing, selling, you're not making any money. Yeah. And then when you sell, there's no residual from that. And my apartment buildings just kept sending me checks. So I just kind of, at one point I just woke up and I said, this is insanity. Well, first of all, I got out of the restaurants, right? So I had no choice but to deal with that problem. Mm-hmm. But then moving forward, I'm like, you know, all the things I've done and I've done a lot of different things. What is the best mechanism for achieving financial freedom? And I just literally like created like a checklist and apartment buildings checked off literally all the boxes. I mean, nice. It's most passive, easiest to get financing for, easiest to raise money for. The risk profile was incredibly attractive, how it performed in a recession. I could scale it. I can start small. I can go big. I can stop whenever I want, or I can even go, go bigger. I can put professional management in place. I was just like, man, and, you know, Michael, why are you doing all these things? Why don't you just focus on multifamily? And, of course, the key there is, is learning to raise money. And so yeah. I got a taste of that, and this light bulb went off in my head about, my gosh, if I can raise money, I don't actually need any of my own, which I didn't at the time. And it was just mm-hmm. a huge light bulb moment for me. I love, I love that. That's a lot of really good background. Uh, right now, there's thousands of apartment investors out there. Would you agree? Thousands of them. I don't know about thousands. It's maybe <laughs> like hundreds. It's, it seems okay. like there's thousands of single family house investors out okay. there. The, the universe of apartment buildings is much smaller, I think. And it's, re- it's because people think it's an advanced strategy. Let me, let me get a five or 10 years of single family house investing under my belt and then I'll take the yeah. excess money and, and put that into multifamily. That's what most people are thinking. And by the way, neither of those are actually true. Between hundreds or thousands, what do you think? I've, I've noticed that you're, you're known as a, one of the leading experts in apartment investing throughout the country. What do you think it is that sets you apart from everybody else? I just feel I have a, I'm really passionate about this message, Adam. And it's something that I was just, I was misinformed like everybody else. I mean, look, we all go to, if you go to these, these RIA meetings, right? That every month people, they fill the room up and they sit there. Why? They sit there because they want to quit their job and they think that real estate's going to get them there. And I was one of those people. And I just, I, you know, I just started doing it because I'm an action taker, but it's like, it's, you know, it's just a thing where you put your you put your ladder up against the wall and you 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 climb you work really hard to get to the and then you get to the top and you realize that the ladder is leaning up against the wrong wall you know you want to be there. <laughs> I sat one day and I said, look, if I really want ten thousand dollars per month in passive income, how many single family houses would I need? And and I was like, well, if I'm really good, and I'm thinking really good, I can get a house to cash flow me two hundred dollars a month after all expenses, which is high by the way. If you could, if I could do that, I'd need fifty houses. I'm like, yeah. holy moly, how long is that going to take and how much work is it going to be? I mean, it's like insanity. I'm like, something isn't right. Why am I sitting here every month? Why are all these people sitting here every single month when they got it wrong? And, and not only do they not consider apartment buildings, but, they, <clears throat> but it's because of ignorance of what they don't know, right? Like I said, you, you people think you need experience and money to get in apartments as this man's strategy when I know now that you don't. You don't actually need experience and you don't actually need money. Well, so that's a pretty strong message, right? And I I feel really strongly about financial freedom because I've seen so many people be consumed by their full-time job, right? They're like, Michael, you know, I work 50 hours a week. Why are you talking to me about living a life of purpose or or passion? You know, you're crazy. I I work so hard. I come home. I'm tired. I help put the kids to bed. I, you know, I I pass out in front of the TV and then I I, I get up the next day to do it all over again. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? Yep. So financial freedom is, is a requirement 
to some degree to live a life of significance. I'm not saying you need it, but you got to check off the financial part of it. Especially if you're the primary breadwinner, you can't just stick your head in the sand and go, Oh, I'm going to go live a life of significance and purpose. Well, you still got bills to pay. So yeah. how do you, how do you address it? How do you transition out of that? And it's just, it kills me a little bit because real estate is a great vehicle, but not in the way that people normally think, which is single family houses. Yeah. Uh, so you're doing syndications right now? Right. Yeah. Cause you were talking about, you were doing money without, uh, without your, or you're doing deals without your own money. So for the audience, what is, what is a syndication? It's really raising money from people. Um, and putting deals together, right? So we're the entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs always try to make stuff happen out of nothing, right? So entrepreneur has, has a lot of ambition and, you know, and whatever, but they don't really have a lot of resources a lot of times. They don't have money. We don't even have the experience sometimes. So well, what, what can you do? What kind of team can you bring together to make something happen? So the syndicator basically finds the deal, finds the money, finds the, the manager or the operator and puts the whole thing together. That's kind of what syndication is in a nutshell. Awesome. I think that's a really good explanation. Um, what would you say are the major steps of making sure that you're doing syndication successfully or, or safely? I think the first step in, in everything is, um, well, there's a more fundamental step, but maybe we'll get to that later, but it, it's really education. And, and it's not like you need a, a college degree in syndication. Okay. I'm not, I mean, you can, you can learn the ins and outs of syndication in probably 14 days. I have, you know, I have an online course that covers everything. You can cover the whole thing in probably a week and you'll know everything that you need to know all the way from start to finish. So a lot of it is just educating yourself. And, and once you see the process, uh, you can begin to visualize it for yourself that increases your confidence and other people can sense that. So I think the first step is just education. It is really not rocket science. You just got to have a little knowledge that's really it. So that's not that complicated. Uh, we might touch on it again, but what would, how would people find that? Uh, my website is uh, themichaelblank.com, themichaelblank.com. I have a free ebook there. I have tons of free resources, but I also have uh, paid programs and, and coaching and things of that nature if, uh, if that's the kind of thing that, that you need. Perfect. Let's, let's, I have a couple other questions and, and your answers can be brief. How do you find deals? How do you even find a good deal? Yeah, there, I mean, there's people out there that teach all kinds of stuff, like sending yellow letters and probate, stuff like that. Uh, and I think, uh, I think people do that because it sounds, uh, it kind of sounds a little sexy. But the, the truth is that really, um, the best way to find deals is through brokers. Um, because like yellow letters, the problem with yellow letters is that they cost money and they take a long time, like to get results. Um, but low hanging, low hanging fruit are brokers. And then and the key there is, is establishing relationships with them, being responsive, not sounding like an idiot when you talk to them. And, and that's over time. What happens is you build relationships as brokers. Maybe you meet them for lunch or maybe you walk a, a property with them and they see that you're serious, that you have a team built around, around them. And then you'll get to the point where they'll call you before they actually list a property. Right. And that's kind of where you want to, where you want to get to. And that takes maybe a, a couple months to get to that relationship. But the truth is there's so many brokers out there, but there's only very few good ones. All you need is like literally like two good brokers. Okay. And you will have more deals. And here's what happens. Let, let's say, and this is going to talk a lot about this, this law of the first deal, which is so, but you get the, that first deal. And one of the reasons you keep attracting more deals and more money is because that same broker that just sold you that last one, yep. they're going to sell you the second and third one, right? So it's like my, you know, so you're going to get in brokers is the short answer. Brokers. I love it. Okay. So once you get a deal, how do you, how do you actually analyze it to understand if it, if it is a deal? Well, so when I got first got started in 2007, I went to my boot camps and I was doing a bunch of marketing analyzing. Uh, there really was no real method 
uh, or tools to do this. And now I have that. It's called, I call it a syndicated deal analyzer. And it's a, it's a spreadsheet uh, that makes it very easy within 10 minutes. It, it, answer, it allows you to answer the question, what's the most I can pay for this property and why? So that you, number one, don't spend four hours. And number two, you can get back to the broker very, very quickly. Now, it's a very simple thing, but it also allows you to very sophisticated model. And once you get farther and farther into a deal, um, so really it's um, having a, the right financial model that, and that really, really simplifies the process. Is that available on your website? It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Perfect. Um, how do you find investors? So if you're doing syndication and you need to have a, a few different people putting in that money, how do you, how do you find those people? You know, it's, you're building on your, on your sphere of influence, the relationships you have, friends and family, coworkers, neighbors, right? And, and really, you're not really setting about raising money. You're, you're really uh, being intentional about the conversations you have, right? So you, you, really what you do is you just kind of share your enthusiasm with people who may not know you in a context of real estate, right? So your coworkers may know you as, you know, the coworker who you go to the bar with after work every once in a while. So, right, so you kind of say, hey, you're not going to believe, when, you know, I'm getting into apartment buildings, yeah, I'm building a team, I'm looking for investors, minimum investment is $50,000, really excited about it. And they kind of go, well, that's pretty cool, right? And awesome. the next conversation, you might get, be a little more intentional. I say, you know, I, I remember I told you about this apartment thing. He goes, yeah, I'm still doing it. You know, I may, maybe I signed up for a coach or I'm looking at a deal. And then you say, look, I'm looking for investors. You know, do you know anyone that might be interested, right? And you just get a little more intentional based on where your relationship is with that, with that person. Now you do have to know there's a system for raising money. And again, it's not rock and sizes. You have to, you know, there's a system for it and you just got to work, you just got to work the system, but it's really about building relationships, right? You're not going to go to someone and say, Hey, Hey Bob, uh, I'm getting an apartment buildings. I'm looking for investors with a hundred thousand dollars or more. Are you in? And Bob's like, <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? No, yeah. <laughs> right. He doesn't hit them over the head with a, with a question like that until they're, until they're ready. Right. So you want to build a relationship with those people and, uh, not obviously answer their questions and, and concerns, uh, until the point where they're comfortable with the idea of investing in multifamily in general with you specifically, so that when you actually get a deal, uh, they're ready to invest. And so you do all that stuff long before you have a deal under contract, right? So, yeah. Yeah. And, and then once you have that deal under contract, you start to do what's called a private placement memorandum. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, the first thing, first thing you put on the contract is you start your due diligence. You don't want okay. to start, you don't want to start spending money on okay. a, on attorneys until you have completed uh, the vast majority of your due diligence. Because what if you then finally, you know, you go to the property, have inspection, you discover foundation issues and the seller doesn't want to address or give you a repair credit. Now you're like, ah, and you've already spent, you know, put it on a $5,000 retainer on your attorney and then okay. you don't want to do that. So you start that uh, kind of when you're a little bit farther in the, in the process. Okay. Good to know. Thank you. Uh, generally, who do you use to do your PPMs? An SEC attorney. Uh, Just any? Used, well, not any. I mean, uh, we've, we've, uh, we've used a couple now. Okay. Uh, depending a little bit on the, on the deal and the partners involved. Uh, but there are, there are many SEC attorneys, but these are SEC attorneys and they specialize in, specifically multifamily syndications. Perfect, perfect. And when you're doing your syndications, I understand there's two different types of, uh, of private placement memorandum, uh, Reg D, 506C, and 506B. Um, there's other forms. And which ones do you, do you use and, and why? Yeah, so, so one, and, and one is basically uh, where you're not advertising, right? So one, one and I, I can't remember exactly which, I think it's a 506C where you can advertise. Don't quote me on that. I might get it wrong, right? Yeah. So, so advertising means that I can, once I create the PPM, um, I can actually put on advertisements that I'm actually putting together a deal. 
uh, and the other one doesn't allow you to doesn't allow you to do that. <clears throat> now, typically, we do the 506B because there's really no need for us to advertise. Everything for us is you know uh, previous relationships and network. So we're constantly networking with people. Okay. And we're building relationships so that by the time they're ready to invest, I don't need to advertise. It's all about you know adding people to our network, keeping them engaged, and then and then uh, offering them you know something that they can take take a look at. Uh, so it's not typically done. Uh, there hasn't been a real reason to do that. Okay. Frankly. Let me ask you one, one uh, spur of the moment question uh, regarding these, the raising the money. Have you, have you only done per deal or have you ever um, raised money as a fund for a purpose? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah uh, it's very rarely done that you raise um, a kind of a blind fund, if you, if you will. Uh, even people that, are, that do hundreds of units uh, a year, we did over 500, we didn't do it. Uh, I know peers of mine that, you know, they buy like, they have like a thousand plus units. It's very rare to do it. <clears throat> uh, you, you might think you might do it. The, the main challenge is that if you take in a bunch of money, there's a huge need for you to deploy that money. And if you can't find a deal, you're going to pay some kind of interest or preferred return on that money. Um, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not really required because once you actually have a real live deal, there's enough time for you to actually raise the money for it. Okay. Um, and frankly, I don't think investors really like the idea of putting a blind pool. Uh, I know if it's okay. a Wall Street, if it's a Wall Street um, investment, that's different. Okay, that, that's that's different. But it's very rarely done. Uh, we did it where we combined two deals into one, where we raised instead of raising money for let's say two million dollar deals, uh, we we combined them into one. But it wasn't really a fund either. Okay. So okay. It's very rarely done. <clears throat> Uh, and plus, you have to do all that stuff up front, right? So you're, Makes sense. you're putting a bunch of legal expenses into it, uh, and then hopefully you'll find a deal. And if you don't find a deal, man, you're losing all that money. So it's it doesn't really buy you much. The, the advantage would be that you already have, you know, let's say five million dollars in the bank. So that would be a major advantage of doing that, so you can move quickly. Um, but like I said, uh, it's not very common. When you were getting into uh, doing syndications for apartment buildings, what was your biggest mental challenge for the syndications, and and how did you personally overcome that? Well, like I said in the beginning, it was really, it was really the two main objections, right? How, how do I break into this quote advanced business without any experience? Now the thing is, and money, because at the time I didn't have any money. It was all deployed in the restaurants, and I realized I could raise it for. I raised money for this for the for the house flips, and I was amazed that people were were you know would be interested in doing that and that's when i first had my first aha moment that gosh this money could be raised and there's money out there and people are actually excited to uh hear me talk about the opportunity mm -hmm. and then the experience side i was really naive because i thought i flipped these three dozen houses i was actually a pretty experienced investor but when i talked to brokers they're like yeah michael that's great but what multifamily have you done and i'm like well none but look <laughs> at all the houses i flipped <laughs> and people literally weren't they weren't weren't taking me seriously so it's almost like it was all for naught yeah and not only that but i i then was making mistakes by how how i approach brokers i wasn't using the right language uh, i didn't have a team around me because i thought yeah. i could just rely on my own experience uh and now knowing that uh, we've tested this on you know on, on students where within a couple of weeks they're you know they're <clears throat> they appear much more they appear much more experienced than they are to the point where brokers aren't asking them for proof of funds, right? Yeah. That's kind of, they only ask you that yeah. because they want you to go away because they think mm -hmm. you're a newbie. So, so from a mindset, it's, it's those two things really. It's like, my gosh, I don't need experience and I don't need the money because I can, I, I can overcome both of those. I, lo I love the part where you brought up the team. I think that's very, very helpful 
I also think it's important when you're looking at apartment buildings to have a team around you with different levels of experience, different levels of money in the bank and, and everything else just to kind of pull that all together. As this is the Creative Real Estate Podcast, what's the most creative deal you've done? Uh, creative real estate. Um, I think probably lease options on the single family house was probably the most creative uh, thing, very profitable. Um, uh, I think um, on the multifamily side, there was, there was one deal that, that we did um, where there was a major concern about the collections in the building where the, where the owner would say, yeah, we're collecting 95%. And then when we actually look at the bank accounts, she's collecting like 50%. Oh. And so we say, we give you three options. Either we get out of the deal, we cut the price in half, or what you do is you guarantee me a year's worth of income. And every time I don't collect it from your deadbeat tenants, I, I can take that money out of the escrow until I have a chance to clean it up. Um, and we finally ended up doing that. And it's just uh, another way, you know, when, when, a deal, when, a, when a deal can't be done, how can you do a deal, right? Because yep. obviously the seller is trying to sell it. And if, if, if you're not buying it for a particular reason like this one, you can be assured that the next buyer is probably going to pass on that deal as well. So this seller mm -hmm. now has a problem. Or maybe, maybe you're assuming a loan or something and the loan to value is so low that you have to raise so much money that the returns don't matter. Well, what, what can you do? How can you, quote, help the seller get a deal done, right? And that's when you kind of start thinking up the thinking caps. What kind, of, what kind of work out with that seller so it's a win-win? That, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's really great. Uh, you've got a pretty great podcast yourself. Uh, how do our listeners find you? Yeah, again, uh, themichaelblanc.com is, uh, is the home base. Okay. You'll find everything there. It's called the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. Uh, you just search for Apartment Building Investing anywhere, and I should, I should pop up uh, somewhere near, near the top. Um, and so we talk nice. all about financial freedom with apartment buildings. What's the, what would you say is the main reason why you started that podcast? Yeah, you know, I didn't I actually didn't start it with the idea of I'm going to create this, you know, great, great program. It was just people were asking me, you know, how do you raise money? You know, why, how do you do this? How do you do that? And then I decided one day I'm going to start blogging for the bigger pockets at the time they had, I think one other person that periodically blogged about apartment buildings and raising money, syndication essentially. And so I just started blogging for them weekly. And, uh, and then people just responded to that. And I, I was just very encouraged by it and started developing my own tools so that other people could use it. And it kind of took on a life of its own at that, at that point. And, and here we are. So I, it's, uh, we, you know, we did over 500 uh, units last year, which is great. It's all with students where, where I'm the principal and uh, where we raise the money, engage with them. And, and that, that's great. I, I, lo I love the art of the deal but I equally like helping people shift their minds, especially, you know, being able to quit their jobs because, you know, many of us really don't really like our jobs and there are just other things we would rather do. And apartment buildings is, in my opinion, the best vehicle to accomplish that in, in the one to three year time frame. Awesome. And so you mentioned that you have, you like to shift people's minds. You have to do that with your students. So you have an educational platform. Is that found on themichaelblanc.com as well? Yep, that's right. Themichaelblanc.com, I click on products and it just gives you a little index of, of the kind of stuff that we have there uh, in addition to all the free content. And uh, hopefully there's something there for everybody. Awesome. Do you, uh, before we let you go, is there one or two pieces of advice that you think that uh, you could really help our listeners with? I, I think, I think it's, it's really fundamental. It's um, I think, uh, I think we, we sometimes get bogged down in the, in the mechanics and the details of things. 
And I, you know, I really want to encourage people to kind of explore their why, right? Why are they, why are they going to these real estate meetings? Why do they want to do something with real estate? And, and if you're very clear on your why, then, then decide. Decide that you're going to change your life. And I found that people who truly decide, and then they'll just tell you they've decided, but they, in their heart, decide that enough is enough. My life can't be like this next, this time next year. Mm-hmm. That is totally unacceptable to me. And they've decided that they're going to change it. At that point, there can be no other consequence but action. And I found people that say, yes, I'm going to do this. And then they don't follow through. It's because they truly haven't decided because their life actually ain't so bad. Okay. If your life ain't so bad, you got a pretty good plan B. They might and, just think it's uh, a cool thing or they might want to do that, but they literally have not decided. They have not. Their, their, their life right now is, is not actually unacceptable enough. It's actually mm-hmm. pretty good. And, and it's, it's amazing where people think they've decided they maybe invest in a course or a boot camp or a coaching program. But even, even after interviewing them relentlessly and how committed they are, mm-hmm. they're lying to themselves and, of course, to us in the process. And it amazes me, right? And, and you really yeah. got really to gotta think about your why. And the best way to do that is really to position your current life as unacceptable, right? And the people who find their life unacceptable, those are the people that just take action and stuff just starts happening. And the ones mm-hmm. that, 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 that have not decided, well, nothing really happens. I think it's, it's that fundamental. That's, that's great. Thank you. Do you think in this podcast uh, today, is there anything you think we, we kind of glazed over, we missed that we need to bring up before we let you go? No, I, th- I think it's great. I think, uh, I think really being clear in your why and deciding to change your life. And the truth is you can, you can do it in a variety of ways. I happen to think the multifamily is, is the best way to do it. And the key points really is, uh, is to really consider multifamily as a strategy, even if you don't have any prior experience or, or your, your cash, because we now have collectively techniques to help you overcome those things. We're in a very short time frame. In fact, you know, the law of the first deal that we talked about earlier, I've been studying this, uh, uh, interviewing my podcast guests, and I track, and even my own students, when I find out about it, <clears throat> from the time, this is very powerful. This is we go back to the decision. From the time someone decides multifamily, however they get there, multiple paths, yeah. some people go through single family, some are smart enough to figure out, hey, I'm going to skip it and go right. But I can almost always trace a decision point back to a, a specific time. And I was asking, when did you decide to do this? And from that point, until they become financially free, is literally on the low end, eight months to the most two years. Okay. So out of my data point, so I always say three to five years, but really it's one to two years from that yeah. point, because in three deals, people have replaced their income. And it's, 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 I'm telling you, it's a phenomenon that's, that's so universal. I call it the law of the first deal. I'm writing a book on it because I think it's so incredibly powerful that people should know about it. You know, once I decide I'm going to do the first deal and that first deal is going to be the smallest, and it's probably going to take the longest. When I say longest, six to say 12 months. My gosh, let it be 18 months. But then what <laughs> happens? Then what happens? Because of the law of the first deal, you become a magnet. You do, your, you do your second and third deals in rapid, almost automatic succession. And they're almost always substantially bigger than the preceding one. And because that, that law is so strong, you'd have to expend almost extra energy not to do your second deal than to simply do it. Because again, like I said, brokers now know that you're buying stuff. Investors now, you have a track record. You've got yep. a, a pipeline. And like I said, it just happens, right? So this is why I focus all of our resources on the first deal. Because I know that if I can help you do your first deal, the law of the first deal takes over and you're done, right? You're like 12, yeah. 12 months away from, from quitting your job. And that's really exciting to me. 
How big was your first syndication? I was 12 units. It was okay. a premium, a little, little small for syndication, but I thought, hey, let's yeah. try this thing. And uh, I did it by the book. You know, the deal allowed for it because, you know, it costs like 10 grand to pay the attorney. But I worked into the deal. And, uh, and um, so that was my, my, my first one. The biggest we did was last year was 321 units. Wow. That's great. Yeah, we're working on our first. Uh, it's, it's 16 units. And, nice. Uh, and you're absolutely right. They better not all take this long. I feel like it's been six months. Uh, so it's, it's been rough, but it, we're about to be closed and, and that'll be great. And I do want to recommend to the listeners, uh, listen to this with Michael Blanc one more time. He's got a lot of great stuff. Go to the michaelblanc.com. We'll put that in the show notes and, uh, Michael, thank you for your time today and we'll check you later. Adam, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Hey everyone. Manny Perez here. This podcast is growing fast because of listeners like you. Thank you, guys. Uh, if everyone could do me one favor, will you go to iTunes right now and leave us a positive rating? This will help us get more top-notch guests for the future. Again, please go to iTunes right now and leave us a positive rating. Thank you, guys, and keep listening. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go, but until next time, think outside the box.